You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hi, and welcome to episode 73 of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I am Manny Manuel. It is week two in the experimental Oscar format. That's right, we're talking about Shakespeare in Love today. Not the second movie alphabetically, but we uh, we switched some stuff around to accommodate some stuff, which we'll get to. Um, Manny, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Samuel. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm doing okay. Um, before we, we we talked about a few things that we're going to want to talk about down the road here, but why don't you tell people where they can find us on social media so then we can get into the juicy stuff. Nice. Yeah, I would love to hear some people reach out to us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can also reach us on Facebook at the Samuel Manual Movie Podcast. Why don't you search out our little page, give us a little like, follow us there, and you can email us at Sam Manny Movie Podcast at gmail.com mail.com beautiful Thank so you. uh before before we got on air tonight you told me that you had a couple of shout outs that needed to be made and i'm very excited about these actually. i do so for those of you that don't know uh, who cares about my what my other job is but <laughs> i uh ran into I, I was surprised the other day when i walked into a business that i have to go into every day as part of my job and i overhear on the speakers that my podcast is being played and it's a shout out to uh brandon and talus and the crew at zoomies who were actually playing our podcast in their establishment which <laughs> that is so wicked i know i know <laughs> and uh honestly i was Super excited um, by their enthusiasm for the show. They really enjoyed it. Um, they were uh, very I, – I can't even find the right words, but they they were actually sh- – and this is, again, like I said to you off air, this is not a dig, but they were pleasantly surprised at how well the podcast sounded and what a great job that the both of us were doing on the show. They – they thoroughly enjoyed it, and hopefully they will continue uh, to listen uh, at least semi-regularly. I, I'll always hope for a, a, a loyal listener, but uh, a semi-regular listener is also uh, greatly appreciated. Yeah, I don't know if anyone actually like goes along and watches the movies week by week with us. I think people are more on a if I see if I've seen it, I'll I'll watch it sort of thing, right? Or I'll listen to it. Yeah, that'd probably be what I do. Like <laughs> I I have a couple podcasts where <clears throat> I'm the same way, but there are episodes that they've done of movies I haven't seen, and I've just saved them on my phone. And I when I get some free time, I know that I will watch them and then and then listen to those older episodes. Right. But uh, yeah, shout out to the Zoomies crew. It's both uh, an honor and a little bit um, upsetting is the wrong word, but it's uh, it feels weird that my voice is currently maybe not. 
currently, but it's uh, it's been echoing the halls of my old stomping ground at Aberdeen Mall. I worked there for like five years. So <laughs> yeah, uh, shout out to the guys at Zoomies. Thanks. Yeah, and the girls and guys. Girls. Girls and guys, excuse yeah. me. We are uh, gender inclusive here on the Samuel yeah. and Manual Movie Podcast. Totally. And uh, another shout out to, uh, speaking of semi-regular listeners, uh, our, uh, a couple of semi-regular listeners, Marlo and Jackie. I ran into my good buddy Marlo. I shouldn't say ran into. I purposely went to go see him and say hello. And uh, he gave us, again, some more rave reviews and was asking how things were going and, and gave us some, uh, some, some, nice, uh, some nice feedback and some... Some nice compliments. Uh, I'd like to pass them along to you, Sam. He uh, he enjoys him and his wife Jackie enjoy listening to us. Uh, yeah, apparently they listen to us while they're driving around, and sometimes make their drives a little bit longer to accommodate the length of our episodes. Yeah, <laughs> which I I think we're we're getting better at actually. The last episode we released uh, last week we recorded Elizabeth, and it was like just a hair over an hour, right? Yeah, yeah, we're which we're, has got to be got to be our shortest episode ever. It's not. Um, hold on, if you. Uh, if you give me a quick second, I can find the actual shortest episode. Well, I mean, we had a couple of small episodes on uh, Ozark, on yeah, individual the, episodes. I'm not counting those ones, the mini episodes, but Elizabeth yeah. is our third shortest episode of all time. Uh, Free Fire? Oh, good call. That is yeah. our shortest episode. Can you guess <laughs> no, the, silver, the, sil- the silver medal winner? I don't think you get. Uh, you know what? I'll nail it down for you. It's a movie you picked. Uh, oh, was it uh, Nightcrawler? It was. Nice. <laughs> well done. Two for two. Yep. It's almost like I was a part of those episodes. Almost. Almost. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, what one was that? Weird. I'd have to check double check what that is. Anyways, okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> they, uh, they really, uh, they have been enjoying uh, our episodes that they've been listening to. Uh, Marlo did state that there, he he does pick and choose uh, which ones he listens to, the ones that interest him, which I don't fault him for. I'm uh, I'm told that the Endgame one was a hit. Yes, yeah, he him and Jackie really did enjoy the Endgame episode, and again, it was very flattering to hear uh, their uh, their compliments, and and I, I greatly appreciate it because Marlo and Jackie are just two of the most amazing and incredible people that I know. Man, we we have to get like a collective name for the fans of this show. Like fans of Beyonce are called the Beehive. Like we have to we have to get like a collective name for the for the fans of this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I well, I guess they can't. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I was gonna I was gonna try and play on the word of our uh, our wards, the Sampas. Yeah. Uh, the Sampsonites. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe that's something to be brainstormed for later not yep. uh, not improvised on air is it perhaps a tad narcissistic of us to come up with their name that's true <laughs> i mean they also listen to us all the time so maybe it's not that narcissistic that's true I, I, <laughs> shouldn't they come up with their own name as our fans i don't i don't know the uh the the etiquette on these things yeah this is the first time i've had fans <laughs> I would argue we don't even have fans. I would I would uh, concur with that statement, yeah. and uh, perhaps we should just move we have, on. We have listeners. Yes, we have listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we have people that actually devote some of their free time to listen to us blather on about nerdy stuff. I don't even devote my free time to listen to these. <laughs> <laughs> some of my closest and best friends don't don't listen to these. So, those of you that do, I won't lie. I greatly 
greatly and thoroughly appreciate that you do and it really does it honestly really does mean a lot to me and i i love i love knowing that people do yeah well i mean we've said this many times but you and i didn't expect anyone to really listen to this when we started we were just like well we talk about movies enough as it is we talk about movies enough as it is, so we might as well just record them and put them online and see what happens. And yeah. Here we are a year and a half later. I with know. With our massive, uh, t- somewhere in the vicinity of 12 to 20 weekly vi- weekly listeners. Yeah, 12 to 20. 12 to 20. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, and moving on from there, one more thing before we get to, uh, as a reminder to our listeners, we are doing our, I guess, uh, listener-selected Halloween episode um, please nominate a, a horror film for us to review for our Halloween episode. Again, the only rule is the movie cannot have been nominated for Best Picture because that would conflict with our uh, Oscar retrospective episodes. So any horror film that has not been nominated for Best Picture, you are eligible to nominate. Uh, once we get enough nominations, Sam and I are th- we haven't exactly decided we might whittle down the the nominees to a, a reasonable amount and then open up the voting or you know once we reach a certain number we'll just open up the voting we're just kind of winging it it's our show we do what our what we want so suck it uh, exactly. and that's uh that's everything so uh let's dive into the heart of this week's episode which is part two is that right? Yeah, I guess we could call it part two, right? Yeah, it's part two of the uh, the five part series on these seventy first Academy Awards, right? That is correct. Yeah, yes. th- this is part of the experiment that Sam and I are doing. We're we're our second episode in, and Sam and I have pretty much already decided we'll be doing this going forward. <laughs> <laughs> we we would like your feedback as well if you like this better than us doing five movies in one episode. But uh, yeah, we, I already like this better. A, I don't have to uh, watch five movies in a week. And B is uh, just uh, it's it's a little bit nicer. It's a little bit more focused. Yeah, I agree, and and it's the same thing. Watching the five movies, especially five really good movies, mm-hmm. uh, in one week, while enjoyable, uh, definitely, definitely made for. I found it hard to really kind of narrow down what I wanted to talk about about each film in the limited time we had. So this again allows us to kind of really dive in deep if we want or make it short and brief like we did last week which is sad that we think an hour-long episode is short and brief (laughs) well we've talked for forever already in this one so we'll probably reach an hour that's true so why don't we dive into (laughs) shakespeare in love uh it was released in on january 8th 1999 for those of you that don't know that means it was also released in la and new york prior so it was eligible for the Oscars that year. But it had a wide release on January 8th of 1999. It was directed by John Madden, written by Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard, starring Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rush, and Colin Firth. It has an 87 Metascore. It had 13 Oscar nominations with seven wins. The wins coming in Best Picture, Best Actress for Gwyneth Paltrow, Best Supporting Actress for the Dame Judi Dench, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Set Decoration, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Score for Musical or Comedy. If something's important to you, wouldn't you want to give those important somethings Culligan? That was really weird. Did you hear that? What? You didn't hear that, hey? No, I didn't hear what? That's so weird. <laughs> Literally something hijacked our show for a second there. Whoa, weird. It was like a commercial or something. Oh, you know what? I bet you it's this right here. 
I'm going to turn that off. I wonder if it picked up on there. I'm so tempted to find out if it picked up on that. <laughs> are we paused right now or are we still recording? Oh, we're still recording. Oh, great. This is good. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was <laughs> good stuff. That was super weird. But I swear to God, some commercial overtook the episode for a second. And I'm looking at that would have been the only place it could have played from. Anyways, okay. We are not, we are not famous enough to be running ads on this show. <laughs> That's unpaid ad space right there. Yeah, I don't even know what it said. That I'm so excited to kind of play back and, and <laughs> hear if it was actually picked up. Uh, by the did recorder. you forget to close all your porn tabs or something? Thank God I did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I was actually saying there, um, it won for Best Original Score, Musical, or Comedy, which I think the Academy only had going for about four years. I do have a note on that. Let me see if I can find that quickly. Maybe I don't. I think I think I might have what you're looking for, actually. Um, it's the last last recipient of the short-lived Academy Award for Best Original Musical or Comedy Score. Yes. Uh, which they only gave out for four years before discontinuing it. The yeah. other winners were Pocahontas, Emma, and The Full Monty. Thank you. Uh, and then wow. the nominations it got in the categories it didn't win were Best Supporting Actor for Jeffrey Rush, Best Director for John Madden, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Makeup. It had a budget of $25 million. It grossed $100 million in the U.S. and 289 worldwide. The plot, a young Shakespeare, out of ideas and short of cash, meets his ideal woman and is inspired to write one of his most famous plays. Samuel, as always, one of my favorite questions is, had you seen this movie prior to their homework assignment? So, yes, I had. Um, the first time, first and only time I had watched Shakespeare in Love before this was actually in grade 10 English class. Interesting. Uh, I, believe, I believe we were studying Romeo and Juliet, and oh. uh, this, I, the, our teacher must have been hung over this day or something. So uh, <laughs> we, we got to watch a movie, and it was Shakespeare in Love. And um, <clears throat> this, well, I mean, that's grade 10, so I don't know. That's probably like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago for me. I'm not going to lie to you. I was not excited to watch this movie again. I didn't remember liking it. I didn't remember being particularly interested in it. I knew that it won Best Picture. Um, so I was kind of hoping to rewatch it with some fresh eyes, uh, get uh, sort of a new opinion on it. Um, but this movie was already sort of at a disadvantage as it was, because as we learned last week, I'm not particularly big on like Elizabethan period pieces. Um, in addition to that, I've always kind of thought that Romeo and Juliet was kind of overrated. I know that's probably like blasphemy, but it's just about two kids who are so irresponsible and desperate to fuck that like six people get murdered because of them. Um, (laughs) that's a a vast oversimplification and I will also never forgive, I will also never forgive Romeo and Juliet for being basically directly responsible for the career of Nicholas Sparks because all of his movies and books are just... Romeo and Juliet in a different setting. Um, oh, wow. I never put that together. Well done. <laughs> um, maybe I'm just too jaded. I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just a little bit too cynical about these things, but Romeo and Juliet never particularly interested me. Um, all of that being said, I wasn't expecting to like this movie this time around, and unfortunately I was correct. It was... Uh, wow. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. This is... I, I don't hate this movie i do i don't hate this movie it's like you said all of the movies that we watch even this year are good they're good movies they're well constructed they're nominated for a reason but this and i say this without having seen the thin red line yet this is the fifth best movie in the bunch this year for me um 
it's not in an area that I particularly uh, concern myself with. Like I said, the Elizabethan age doesn't usually interest me all that much. Um, in addition to that, the fact that it won Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan is usually considered one of the biggest mistakes the Oscars have ever made, and I tend to agree with that. Um, a big part of the reason that it did win was uh, because, well, the answer to that and many other happy 2019 movie questions is unfortunately Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein was a big, big part of the reason why this movie uh, won Best Picture, which we can get into. But yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to like this movie the second time around. I didn't. Uh, that's not to say it's without merit. It's a very well-constructed movie uh, with a competent score and uh, pretty decent cinematography. Um, the fact that Gwyneth Paltrow won Best Actress over Kate Blanchett is kind of baffling to me to be honest to you yeah i don't know it, it has something to offer but it's certainly not for me i don't fault you if you like it uh because there is some fun going on but it's it's not for me i do like and i it, it didn't actually even occur to me until right now when you mentioned that i'm so glad that we actually had these movies back to back to accurately compare uh kate blanchett and gwyneth paltrow's performance because going into the oscars that year I knew that Paltrow was going to win, but I was hoping that Blanchett would pull off an upset. Yeah. Um, interesting. I <laughs> <laughs> I went into this. This was the movie. It had actually been quite a while since I watched this. And I remember as I'm putting it in, all I kept thinking in my mind is try not to be biased. I do have a little long-running bitterness towards this movie for winning Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. I watched this movie and was entertained. I've never thought that this is a bad movie. I just didn't think it was the Best Picture winner. Um, like you alluded to, you this the reason this won Best Picture is because of Harvey Weinstein. And his how he completely changed the way that Oscar campaigning was done. Generally speaking, from what I've heard, this is all, I don't even know, conjecture and rumors. But the general spending at the time for an Oscar campaign was about $2 million. It is rumored that Harvey spent over 15 Over 15 one five. One five. Okay. And, you know, did it work? The proof is in the pudding. It ob yeah. it obviously did. Because a lot of... As time has gone by, and I, I promise those of you that do like this movie, we're not, I'm not here to shit on it. Because I actually, I have a lot of really great things to say. But you can't talk about this movie without talking about... Harvey Weinstein and how this beat Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture. And that is unfortunate because this is a Best Picture winner. And But history is always going to have – it's never going to be Best Picture winner Shakespeare in Love. It's always going to be Best Picture Shakespeare in Love that didn't deserve to win over Saving Private Ryan. That's the way yeah. that history is going to look at this film. And it's always going to be that way. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's true, but it's unfortunate because – this is a good film. Is it a Best Picture winner? I don't think so, but it's still a very, it's still a very good movie. There's a lot. The to worst, 
the, the worst thing that ever happened to this movie from a reputation standpoint was winning Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. Because you're right. That's that's what it is now synonymous with. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, but as I was watching it, I was entertained. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what you go to movies for. So the movie succeeded in entertaining me. This would never have made my Best Picture list of the year this wouldn't have made my top 10 list of the year for sure 100 percent um but did i enjoy the movie yeah i did and i was really hoping i was out of the five films we're revisiting this year this is easily the one that i was the least looking forward to but i wasn't dreading it like i was dreading cider house rules for (laughs) for the last oscar episode this this movie is infinitely better than the cider house rules i would watch this 10 more times before I'd rewatch Cider House Rules again. I have it about on the same level. No, not not even close. This <laughs> this movie at times makes me chuckle. Like the costumes are fantastic. The score is so lovely. I forgot how much I enjoyed the score of this film. Um let's just go right now. We're going to spoil this movie 321 go fuck yourselves. Mm-hmm. This movie the nominations it's got with a couple of exceptions, everything is rightfully so. Um, so we'll start the, the, I I don't agree with the best picture nominee. Fine. Best actress, the nominee, the nomination is fine. Did she deserve to win over Blanchett? I highly disagree. Um, best supporting actress for Judy Dench. We can get into that as well. I'm going to, I want to circle back to that best original screenplay. This 100% deserved a nomination. The writing in this movie and the idea of this movie and everything about this this is a well-written film. Best art decoration, set decoration, definitely deserved a nomination. I don't think it deserved a win over Saving Private Ryan, but that's fine. Best costume design, it's a period piece, so of course it's going to get nominated, and you can't fault them. These costumes look superb. Best original score, musical, or comedy, I'd have to double-check what the other nominees were that year, but I, I really love the main theme of this, of this score. The best supporting actor for Jeffrey Rush, I'm going to disagree. I don't really think he was that much of a standout. Um, Best director, there's a lot going on in this movie. So yeah, the director deserves a nomination. Best cinematography, it is gorgeously shot. Obviously didn't stand a chance. Once, we all know what it lost to, but trust me, the other, there's other movies this year that are just, especially the Thin Red Line, I can't, do you watch these? You watch these movies on your TV, right, Sam? Yeah, that's right. Okay, perfect. Because you're you're gonna be you're gonna love the cinematography in the Thin Red Line. It is cool, so it is so gorgeous. Okay. Um, best sound. Obviously, sound is where for films like this, it's it's hard for me to kind of quantify whether or not. The nominations are worth it. For me, sound and sound editing really kind of stick out in more kind of bombastic movies, uh, action films where the background noise and the sound is important. So whatever. And then best film editing. I won't lie. At first, this nomination kind of bothered me because the editing doesn't really stand out. But then I realized that there's a lot going on and the movie, there's no, for me, there's no, there's no lull in this movie. Um, you know, it clocks in at two hours and three minutes. So, mm-hmm. you know, two-hour film because, you know, that includes the credits at the end. I didn't find myself looking at my watch. I didn't find myself bored. 
there was no real lull in the story. So I think that, you know, that comes with both the directing and the editing of the film. And then best makeup, obviously, again, period piece, so the makeup's going to stand out. So this movie, in my opinion, really earned its nominations. Is it the best picture of the year? No, I don't think so. But this is a good film. Well, let me let me put it to to you this way. You said I, I want to clarify something that you said because mm-hmm. uh, you said you wouldn't necessarily have nominated for best picture. Is that correct? Well, he, the four the four other films in here, I probably mm-hmm. I think definitely earn a best picture nomination. I'd have to double check what else came out in '98 for me to fill in the fifth slot. But I I I definitely don't think like it's. I guess that's my like it's my opinion. It's pretty rare that all five films that have been nominated for best picture I agree with were the five best movies of the year. But you yeah. know that, that's art that you know that's art. It, that's true. I I highly doubt I would ever agree fully with all five nominees. Yeah. The the only point I'm trying to make is that you did list off all the nominees and it seemed like most of them you agreed with and some of them I did as well. It's it's just that you know, if you if you agree with all these nominations, I feel like you also have to agree with its nomination for Best Picture, right? Because if all these technical aspects were that superb, which a number of them were, then you must agree with it, right? I guess so, but again, yeah. I haven't I haven't had the time to look at what else came out in '98 where yeah. I would be willing to take this out on. You know, like as like as an example, I love all the technical aspects of the Lord of the Rings movies, but I don't think it was the fucking best picture of the year. It was technically brilliant, yes, yeah. but was it a good movie? Was it n- no? Especially Return of the King. I I again we're revisiting some stuff. Fellowship of the Ring, one hundred percent. Return of the King, not a fucking chance. Dude, I know we've talked about this before on air. Actually, we have an, an episode on Return of the King, or we have an episode on that Oscars, which we was a part of. But yes, uh, all of the best moments in the Lord of the Ring. Like, let me put it this way: Fellowship of the Ring is the best Lord of the Rings movie, but all of the best iconic moments are in Return of the King. That's how I typically view it. Well, the most iconic moment in the Lord of the Rings trilogy happens in Fellowship. Which is what the assembly of the fellowship? No, thou shall not pass. That's the most culturally relevant moment in that in that entire okay, that, franchise. I'll give you that, but I, I I think of Sam carrying Frodo up the mountain. We're getting way off track, but I think of Sam <laughs> Sam carrying Frodo up the mountain. I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Come on. Um, I don't I don't know. Uh, you you kneel for no man is a, is another big one. Uh, them crying after uh after uh getting the ring into Mordo, man just like there's so many iconic moments in return yeah the seventeen that movie for me the 17 endings of it yeah i agree the 17 endings of lord of the rings (laughs) is one of the most iconic moments in the lord of the rings yeah i guess statistically there has to be more iconic moments in it because it's four and a half hours long (laughs) anyway let's get back to shakespeare in love shall we yeah so i i understand the point you're trying to make so yeah but uh, if if i had I, I guess maybe if I'd done my job better and mm. had done research in other films that came out this year, I could have probably found ones that I felt probably deserved the nominations in those categories over top of this one. Yeah. What what I'm saying is the main thing I'm trying to get is that I don't hate this movie. I'm yeah. bitter towards it for winning, but I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's the best picture. Uh, listen, I, I may have been harsh on my intro as well. I don't – 
I didn't mean to imply that I hate this movie. I don't know if I did, but I, I don't mean to imply that I hate it or that it's without merit or anything. There's certainly a lot of aspects that I enjoyed, and we'll get to those. Just, again, the, the bitterness for me was difficult to overcome, and I do think of the now four movies I've watched from this Best Picture year, it's the fourth best. And after I watched Thin Red Line, I wouldn't be surprised if I like it better than this one, too. I, I agree. I think you're going to enjoy Thin Red Line better. But I'm 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 also really kind of looking forward to your take on a thin red line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to see. I know very little about it as uh, as I as I look to do, just go in blind. But yeah. Anyway, um, I I did want to talk a little bit more. Uh, unfortunately, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Harvey Weinstein in this because um the I watched I watched a lot of I watched a little video, watched uh, or I did some research on this, and you yeah, did research. The, I know it's it, it was inadvertent. I didn't mean to. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, My job security is at risk now. Yeah, exactly. Now that we've have, had guests, I need to I need to prove my worth. Um, but yeah, Miramax, of course, as you said, spent a whole lot more on this campaign than it ever been spent before. Um, Weinstein apparently at this time had already established uh, uh, himself as a as a, uh, a behemoth in the industry, in particular with his media connections, and apparently. Um, he kept feeding stories to this me these uh, journalists that he knew about how the Shakespeare in Love versus Saving Private Ryan would be like an independent movie versus big studio sort of thing with Miramax being framed as the independent studio, even though, like you said, they spent $15 million on campaigning, which was unheard of at that time. Um, so apparently he, he reframed the debate awfully well. Um, an unfortunate aspect of it, as is always with the Oscars, is the release date. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I have the Shakespeare in Love initial release at December 3rd, 1998. That would have been the New York, New York uh, and LA. LA releases. Yep. So that's late in the year, close to the ceremony, fresh in voters' minds. Yes. Uh, release date of Saving Private Ryan was July 24th, 1998. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough as as the studio to keep uh to keep on top of things for that long you know to keep yourself as the favorite to keep for... the momentum rolling exactly yeah so to, to keep that media narrative going by weinstein about the whole independent versus mainstream uh <clears throat> mainstream studio thing was honestly i hate to say it a stroke of genius but i mean it, it won in the end that this movie made i think more money after it won than before as is often the case with these sort of um uh i don't want to say smaller budget but um i, I don't know these less blockbustery sorts of movies when they win best picture a lot of the time they'll make more money after the win than they make before it if that makes sense yeah some well sometimes, sometimes what, yeah. yeah generally what happens is they'll start they'll actually start making more money after they get nominated yeah um because if if i'm not mistaken the this was the last year that it was uh yeah see i i even doubt i doubt it was even in theaters um because the academy was uh, the oscars were on the, were at the end of march march 22nd and this got a wide release on january 8th so that's 3 months later it would still have to be in theaters for it definitely could have got a re-release I'm sure we could check box office mojo for for the facts, but I'm going to bet that the nominations, which usually happen, I think, near the end of January, I bet you the month of February is where the majority of Shakespeare in Love got its got its money. 
Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I wouldn't doubt that. I'm pretty sure it probably after the nominations and it got nominated for Best Picture is when people started to go check it out. And it was that was the same for me. Like, it was here in Kamloops, a film gets nominated for Best Picture and then our little tiny theater downtown, Paramount, will, will bring it in. I don't know if that'll still be the case now that it's sold, but we'll find out. Yeah. Um, I also just... Yeah, I, go ahead. I, I find it kind of funny. There's this reputation that the Oscars has of also uh, just loving movies that show how difficult it is to be an artist. Yes. And I think this is just one more in a long line of those. So I just went through recent years and I I could just off the top of my head for nominees in recent years, I found La La Land and A Star is Born just in like the last three. And then for winners, you know, before that, there's Birdman, there's Argo, there's The Artist, Chicago, of course, Shakespeare in Love Now. And, you know, that's. You know, there are more professions than just artistry, but uh, <laughs> the Oscars tend to really, really love movies that are about the struggles of an artist. So um, I think that probably helped its case as well. I, I 100 percent agree. Um, and by the way, I like a lot of those movies. I really like uh, La La Land and Birdman in particular. Oh, wow. I wasn't a big fan of Birdman. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I really liked it. Alejandro Inurito is a genius. Again, the technical aspects of that film are spectacular. Yes. But... I don't think it's. I can't even. I'd have to double check at the other films that came out that year. I, I'm. A good. Boyhood was expected to win that year. Mm. Oh yeah, that was the. Uh, yeah, personal reasons that was not a good year for me. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't care for Boyhood that much. Like I liked it, but I didn't think it was deserving of best picture. I was happy Birdman won. Uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> the. Oh man, like I, I want to even go next. Um. Let's see. Where do I want to go next? Well, let's 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 talk about let's talk about the the best parts of this film. Yeah, let's let's actually say some good things about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um Well, let's start right at the top. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. I have heard that her accent is actually spot on. And for an American is actually quite good. Mhm. I again I'm glad that we're watching this and Elizabeth back to back. So it allows us to kind of get an idea on the two performances. And I was coming in again, trying not to be biased, but I've always had a little resentment towards her for winning this year. She actually didn't want to be in this movie initially because she was going through a breakup with Brad Pitt and didn't want to leave and come over to England to shoot it. But this is a story that I heard was true, is that Gwyneth Paltrow saw the script at Winona Ryder's office in 1997 and then asked her if she could read it. Paltrow went and auditioned for the part without telling Winona Ryder and got it. They have not been friends since. What a shitty thing to do. God, I I really didn't have it in my head that we were going to talk about what a terrible person Gwyneth Paltrow is today. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's sort of uh, inevitable, don't you? You know what's funny, and general, and and we've talked about this before, is that we can separate the art from the artist. Yes. But I have a really hard time doing that with Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and I don't know why. I think last time we talked about her was uh, Endgame, right? 
Yeah. Must have been. Yeah. And it's funny because maybe I can maybe I can separate it because while I don't really particularly like Gwyneth Paltrow from again, I don't know her personally, but from the things I gather from stories like this, from her goop bullshit, from the other things I hear, I'm not a fan. But I don't hate her on film. And this movie is a perfect example because she is really good in this movie and is well worthy of that nomination. Now, I don't think that she should have won, but her nomination is rightly deserved. Yeah, uh, Gwyneth, if you're listening, I don't think we should be friends, but uh, you were very good in this movie, so I can't really fault you there. I think she's actually she is she's superb in this movie. And as I was watching it, I was I I was just going the whole time like she is really good in this movie. That being said, this is the only time she's ever been nominated. Which is kind of strange. Like people were anticipating this at the time as being like a jumping off point for a career. Like mm-hmm. what else was this girl going to do? Because she was still super young at the time of this movie, as far as I know. Um, I, I don't have the exact number, but yeah, she was pretty darn young and hadn't been in an awful lot from everything that I know. So yeah, people were expecting this to be like the coming out party for her. And then she yeah. hasn't done anything noteworthy since, I guess. Let's Except see. lining her pockets in the Avengers franchise. She would have been about a rough estimation 26 at the time. Yeah. So pretty damn young. Yeah. Let's take a look here. Like, uh, so we got where are we here? Shakespeare in Love. Oh, okay. she had done seven. Oh yeah, which she is spectacular in. And then it looks like Hook was probably her first big, first big role in '91. Yeah, yeah, but we're talking about what she did after this. This is we got to oh, go after. after. Oh, so see. the talent of Mr. Ripley is good. I didn't mind duets. Didn't like Bounce. I totally forgot she's in the Royal Tannenbaums. Shallow Hal totally escaped my mind. And then I'm going to skip all those, skip all those, skip. I'm skipping until she gets to the Iron Man in 2008. She, I'm, I'm looking at everything here. I don't see anything. I don't see anything outside of the MCU that has me. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing. You're not getting any argument here. Yeah. So, and it's honestly like, I, I won't lie. It, it's, it's almost kind of like a waste because she is really good in this movie. Oh, and again, I, I did uh, hear, I did hear great expectations. She was actually pretty good in. Um, oh wait, that's before this movie. Never mind. What about Judy Dench? What are your opinions on best supporting actress for Judy Dench? We're just jumping off of we're we're done with Gwyneth already, hey? Uh, if you if you want if you have anything more to say about Gwyneth, we seem like we were just repeating ourselves after after a minute. But if you have anything else to say, um, yeah, all right, let's move on. <laughs> so she wins the best supporting actress in the second shortest ever performance by an actor by by a performer, right? Let's double check here. She is up against, where are we? Kathy Bates, Brenda Blethyn, Rachel Griffiths, and Lynn Redgrave. If I remember correctly, Lynn Redgrave was the one that most people were looking for to win. Now, out of those ones, Lynn Redgrave is the only other performance I've seen. 
but I have not watched Gods and Monsters since 1998, so I cannot honestly give an honest opinion on whether or not she should have won. Is Judy Dench good in this movie? I'm going to have to say yes. But she's basically playing a role that plays right into her strengths. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not because she fucking steps up to the plate, crushes a home run, flips a bat, and walks off the field. <laughs> she is really great in what? All four scenes that she's in? Yeah. And every scene she's in, she completely owns it. Like completely owns it. She's not fucking around. She came in. Like I said, she steps up to the plate, pinch hit home run to walk off the win. Um, the fans appreciate the baseball analogy. I'm sure they do. <laughs> I uh, I can't fault the performance because I, I honestly think the performance is awesome. Okay. I mean, I, I, I didn't dislike any of the scenes that she was in, but I, I w- didn't think she was particularly out of her wheelhouse, as, as you were saying. You know, like I... I Never felt like I wasn't watching Dame Judy Dench on the screen, you know, it, which isn't always a bad thing. But I don't know. I for how little screen time she had, it it was just hard for me to believe that she got herself a golden statue for like ten minutes of screen time, where I didn't think she was particularly gripping. Like again, not bad, but given the amazing uh, performances we've seen as we've been going through these years, I, it just didn't seem like an Oscar-worthy performance to me. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with it, but I, I can't offer who should have won when I haven't seen the other four nominees. That, that's exactly it, is that I, I haven't seen any of the other four movies, Primary Colors, Little Voice, Hillary and Jackie, or Gods and Monsters. I haven't seen any of those, so it's not like I'm sitting here like, whoa, Kathy Bates was robbed, but... I, I was I wasn't sitting there at any point feeling like I was watching an Oscar worthy performance. I don't think I, I do have a problem with Jeffrey Rush being nominated um uh for Philip Henslow. I actually thought I liked him better in Elizabeth than I liked him in Shakespeare in Love. But Yeah, I would agree with that. Probably also because I, I like uh, I just like Elizabeth better as a film. <laughs> but I, I just I, I thought Walsingham was a much more, just a much better character. But I guess Philip Henslow, I guess the one thing about Shakespeare in Love is it's, like, it is a comedy, so I guess we should kind of be happy that the Academy was rewarding a comedy, which is so rare. And I'm also curious for any Shakespeare fans what they think of this movie, because this, this movie is probably to Shakespeare fans what the MCU is is to me because there's so many inside jokes on Shakespeare and his plays. Mm-hmm. There's so many subtle references and stuff like that. Like I, I'm sure the ones that I pick up on are obvious, but I bet you there's a ton of other ones that I have no clue on. It's, it's funny that you say that. I was watching this with Jordan, who I wouldn't say is a huge Shakespeare nerd, but she definitely knows more about Shakespeare than the average uh, 20-something, I would say. Um, and I, I picked up on a couple of the Shakespeare references as well. Like you said, some of them are obvious, and I did kind of roll my eyes at a few, like at how um, bashed over the head with it you are. But mm-hmm. there, there's some uh, uh, 
some more subtle ones. Um, the first one that I noticed, I wrote down a bunch of them. Um, Will's other muse at the beginning of the movie who uh, initially starts uh, sleeping with somebody else, the one who he gives uh, the, the snake armband to. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name's Rosaline, which is the name of Romeo's ex-girlfriend in Romeo and Juliet. So when we meet Romeo at the beginning of Romeo and Juliet, he's uh, distraught that he's lost Rosaline. Okay. Yeah, so that, that was the first one that I noticed. Also, uh, I mean, we figure this out at the end, but uh, Viola de Lesseps is a reference to Viola, the protagonist in Twelfth Night. We, it's basically spelled out for you at the end. Um, Kit Marlowe and John Webster were real playwrights uh, at the time. So the little kid who's like strangely psychopathic, uh, he says his name's John Webster, and that's the name of an actual playwright uh, who was inspired by Shakespeare later, whose plays were apparently quite violent. So that's where that whole shtick comes from. Yep, that one I picked up and on then, as well. And then, of course, uh, the balcony scene seems like the most obvious one. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, one uh, One amusing credit... Or one amusing thing. Um, hold on, I'm just gonna double check this here. Uh, okay, hold on. Uh, 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 uh. There is, there is a person associated in this movie that has 1,432 credits to their name. Holy. Could you I, get? I to guess? Could you guess who that person is? Um, I mean, my first guess would have been like Judy Dench, but I'm supposing that's not it. No, it's not. I don't know. He has maybe maybe this will help you out. He has one thousand four hundred and thirty-two writing credits. Writing credits. Yeah. Um. Well, who's the writer of this damn movie? <laughs> is is it one of the writers? Technically, no. Oh, is it uh, William Shakespeare? It is William Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, he was not credited in this movie. I did read that, actually. Y- yes. Which Although, is such a dick move. Yeah, huge portions of this movie are literal excerpts from his film, from his films, from his plays, and yet he gets no credit. Oh, there was that, that. Actually, reminds me. There's a there's a line. The first line that made me roll my eyes is like a clear Shakespeare reference in this movie. Is there's I can't even remember who it is. It's like a priest or something at the beginning of the movie yeah. who yells a plague on both your houses. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Brought me back to my uh, to my to my high school days studying Shakespeare in English class. Oh, and I was talking uh, I was talking to uh, to one of my. Uh, who was I talking to? Oh, I was talking to T-Bone. I was talking to T-Bone about Shakespeare. And I've like I think also one of the reasons that this movie doesn't quite resonate as deeply with me is I've never understood Shakespeare. I've had a hard, I have a hard time reading his plays. I have a hard time, uh, understanding and grasping the, uh, what is it? Uh, iambic pentameter. Is that right? Iambic pentameter. pentameter. Yeah. I have a hard time grasping it and my mind just can't seem to wrap around it. I have a hard time understanding the language. So that's part of the reason probably why I didn't really care that much for this movie. But that being said, I, it's still, there's still so much to like in this movie. Um, I love, like, there's there's four Oscar winners, four Oscar-winning performances, five Oscar winners, and then there's another nominee in here as well. Like, the, the acting cast 
is top of the line. And oh, go ahead. I, I just I read somewhere uh, a quote from Ben Affleck when he was in this movie. He said he was the only cast member who had not been knighted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why Ben Affleck was in the movie? Yeah, because he was banging Paltrow, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. If that that's one way to advance your career, I guess. Mm-hmm. Too bad nothing ever came of that Ben Affleck guy. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, this was this was back before Ben Affleck was actually good, by the way. Not that he's bad in this movie, but this was before he was like good actor Ben Affleck. He was uh he was young, charming, up and coming star Ben Affleck at this time. Yes, that is very correct. Who had yet to do such classics as um Daredevil and Geely. <laughs> <laughs> this came out the same year as Armageddon. Oh well there you go. Um let's Joseph Fiennes, Fiennes? Joseph Fiennes. Fiennes. Joseph Fiennes. Um, what did you think of him as Shakespeare? Um, I, I thought he was fine. I do honestly... There, I wasn't ever really wowed by him in this movie. Was he nominated for Best Actor? No. No, no. he was not. This yeah, strong, year, strong year for Best Actor. Yeah, oh. little, little bit. <laughs> Roberto Benigni for Life is Beautiful, Tom Hanks for Saving Private Ryan, Ian McKellen for Gods and Monsters, Nick Nolte, Affliction, Edward Norton, American History X. Yeah, that's a strong year, so he's not getting nominated there. I didn't necessarily think he was bad. Um, I, I think some of the more comedic moments in the movie... It, uh, his charm in this movie is as a young, attractive heartthrob, as, as a... Um, I, I don't know. I think him as the romantic interest of this movie is where his star power is um i I can't think of a scene off the top of my head that he wowed me in can you the only in all honesty the only one that actually kind of stands out um is it was it's kind of more of just facial action or facial action facial expression um Mm -hmm. is after he finds out that christopher marlowe has been murdered and he runs to church and he's begging god for forgiveness yeah, it's it, there. It's a. Uh, I think there's just a score over top of it, and he's just on his knees with his hands clenched, and he's just praying for forgiveness. That's about the only time that I've really felt any type of serious performance from him in this movie. The rest of the time, he's just fine. At no point do I think he's bad. No pun intended, right? Just <laughs> fines. Oh. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Um. I didn't catch that one. That's spectacular. Um, I, I think, yeah, he he's doing an adequate job. It's it's right down the middle. I don't think – no point do I ever think he's bad. At no point do I ever think that he should be worthy of a nomination of some sort. Which is problematic when you think about it, that this movie won Best Picture, and you're like, eh, the lead's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The rest of the supporting cast I thought was quite fun. Uh, Tom Wilkinson kind of really won me over uh, as I think it's Ferryman. Uh, I love that he starts off the movie as a badass kind of like almost mob boss. And then when he gets offered the part, he takes it so seriously. And I, I He's just, just a big softie in the he, end who wants to be an actor all along. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed most people. Um, in this movie, like I said, I, I didn't hate the movie. I, I had a, I just, I had a good time with it. 
Uh, let me see here. Um, yeah, I. You know what? I kind of need to rewatch. Um, what was that movie we watched with Tom Wilkinson in it? Uh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. Yes. Yeah, I need to, I need to rewatch that one. That was a good one. Oh, I'll rewatch it with you. You say when. <laughs> All right, I'll let you know. Fucking. Um, yeah. What else is there that we haven't talked about? Um, we talked about the Shakespearean Easter eggs. Talked about the cat. Is there any other cast members you wanted to go on to? Uh, well, actually, uh, Oscar winner Colin Firth. Right, Oscar winner Colin Firth. Not for this. No, sir. Yeah. Oh, for King's Speech? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Colin Firth. Uh, Lord Wessex, kind of a dirtbag, hey? Little... I mean, obviously, he's the antagonist, so, you know, the fact that he's a dirtbag is intentional. But, yeah, what a fucking dirtbag. Yeah, a little bit, hey? Um... <laughs> the oh. scene where he kisses Gwyneth Paltrow, I'm not going to lie to you, that, is a, that was a very uncomfortable scene to watch. And, obviously, it's supposed to be, but he, like, where he's saying that she should be grateful for uh, him marrying her and then, like, forces a kiss on her and she slaps him. That whole scene was very uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. It's There's a lot of... Um, a lot of As we keep moving further and further back in time with these films, we're going to start to get some stuff that hasn't aged very well. Yeah, we're going to get some Me Too moments for sure. Yeah. And, and the fact that in the end of this movie, again, we are in the spoiler section, the fact that in the end of this movie, she still has to wind up marrying him too isn't exactly... I know it's not supposed to be a happy ending, but like, man, that's really shitty that she has to spend the rest of her life with this person. Yeah, and just as a, um, uh, let's see, what's the correct word? Um, I guess, oh, perfect. A historical, uh, historical inaccuracy Yeah, is that he continues to talk about how they're going to move to America to work on a tobacco <laughs> plantation. Uh, yes, America had, of Virginia. Yeah, uh, America hadn't even been colonized yet <laughs> at that point. Yeah, uh, I, I had the note that Virginia, he keeps talking about going to Virginia. Uh, Virginia wouldn't exist for another 10 years. Yes, yes. <laughs> but again, I don't care. Like, yeah. I'm not, I, I wasn't looking at this movie for uh, historical accuracy because this is not the way that the that the play Romeo and Juliet began. Yeah, well, let's let's actually talk about historical accuracy because I'm I'm kind of curious on your opinion on this. We've kind of talked about this in in the past. Um, how I think we both agree that artists are sort of at liberty to to change certain details in the spirit of a story, right? I, I don't think that's controversial. Agreed. Um, for some reason though, it kind of bothered me with this movie, and I was trying to pin, pinpoint exactly what it was. I think I think it was that since the story was so far removed from what actually happened in reality, because I mean, there's just like choose your choose your detail, whether it's the timeline or the people involved. Like there are so many details in this movie that are really taken liberty with um, by the writers. I think what bothered me about the historical inaccuracy of this movie is that it just seemed so far removed from reality that I didn't understand why it had to be Shakespeare in the first place. You know what I mean? No, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, well, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Like, um, if we're talking about historical inaccuracies, like, Shakespeare wrote, this is one of the many inaccuracies I have written down here, Shakespeare wrote ten other plays uh, between Romeo and Juliet and Twelfth Night over, 16, or over six years, excuse me. Um, Romeo and Juliet, when we're, coming, when we're talking about how he came up with the idea for it, um, he didn't get help on it. He, he adopted it from Romeo, Romeus and Juliet. He adopted an Italian play into English. He didn't struggle for an idea. Um, you know, there's, there's, all these, there's all these timeline issues with it, which, again, 
artists are at liberty to, to do what they want with the source material and to, to do what they want in the name of story. But it, to me, this movie seems like a decent amount alienated from reality. It, it seems to be so removed from reality that I don't really know... Well, how, what am I trying to say? It seems cheap to even attach the name Shakespeare to it because the only one of the only Shakespearean things about this movie is is his name, really, and the fact that it's about Romeo and Juliet. Does that make sense? I see what you're I see what you're trying to get at, but I I have to completely disagree. Okay, I, I it's they're just telling a story. Does it have yeah. to be historically accurate? No, it doesn't. Not at all. I, I, it's, it's the same, it would be the same thing if somebody had a problem with Inglorious Bastards. That's, that's not how World War Two. that's not how World War Two ended. That's not, there was no, there, there were no, uh, there was no band of people that went behind enemy lines and did guerrilla warfare like Brad Pitt's people. It's, it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's just a movie. It's just telling a story. It's not historically accurate. It never, it, it never says based on a true story at any point. Why you got to bring in Glorious Bastards into this, Manny? Because I knew that one would dig deep, buddy. Why do you have to hit below the belt like that? That's <laughs> Is this because I brought up Jackie Robinson the other week? Is no. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being hypocritical. Maybe I'm being overly critical. I, I don't know. But for some reason, it just bothered me that they... They removed so it seemed so far removed from history that the only reason I could think of for it being set in this period is so they could put the word Shakespeare in the title, you know? Well, they okay. If it's not Shakespeare, then what's the point of the story? Like, I don't know. It can be. It can be about any playwright. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare. Can you can you name another playwright? Um, nope. Kip Marlowe and John Webster. Okay, name another one that's not in this movie. <laughs> No, I cannot. So, obviously, Shakespeare is the most well-known playwright of all time. That's indisputable. Yes. So, if you if it's not Shakespeare, then, like, what's the point of the movie? Nobody's going to be... Nobody's... I don't think anybody's clamoring for a Christopher Marlowe movie. That's that's kind of my point, though. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to say, is that it needed to be Shakespeare to get asses in the seats, but then they just totally didn't make it about Shakespeare. Which seems almost disrespectful. <laughs> He's the main character of the movie. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's not... It's it's very far removed from reality, is what I'm trying to say. So what you're saying is that you're upset it's not a biopic. I don't know. I'd watch a Shakespeare biopic. I'm I'm sure a Shakespeare biopic would be somewhat entertaining. <laughs> I, I just... It doesn't have to be... I have no problem with characters that appear... A characters that appear. I don't have no problem with people in real life being in fictional stories. It doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. It's a movie. It's just a movie. They're not claiming at any point at the beginning of the film does this say based on a true story. It's not. It's yeah. just. It's a. It's just a story that they're telling with some people that happen to hap, that happen to really exist at some point. What if what if the movie Forty Two would turn Jackie Robinson into a football player? That would make no sense. That that's a that's a piss poor analogy because Shakespeare in this movie is a writer. Yeah, but uh, that's what I'm saying is that they're just changing very large details. What what large details are they changing? They're... I just gave you an example. You know, time frames, characters. 
Um, the fact that this random Viola something or other was the that, inspiration for his plays. That's not along the same lines as making Jackie Robinson a different sports star. <laughs> All they're trying to do is they're telling a fantastical story of a fun way of saying how he came up with the story of Romeo and Juliet. Your analogy using Jackie Robinson as you're trying to hit below the belt since I hit yours so incredibly well. You're damn right. <laughs> Would be a, a, an accurate analogy. Would be like they retold the Jackie Robinson story, but he didn't play for the Dodgers. He played for the Boston Red Sox, which is the which is the last team to integrate in MLB history. Yeah. Wouldn't that piss you off? It might. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for improving my analogy. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> But I don't. I don't think any Shakespeare fans are clamoring over the inaccuracies in here. I think they're just they understand. Again, at no point the difference between forty two and this movie is the beginning of forty two. It says based on a true story. This never says that. It doesn't claim. Just like just like the next the next Oscars will be doing Titanic. At no point does it say based on a true story. Yeah, it's telling. The, it's character... telling a story based around a real-life event. Don't you think it's sort of Im- implied, though, if it's called Shakespeare in Love? Don't you think that's sort of implied that this got, this is obviously a real person? You said it yourself, he's the most famous playwright of all time. Isn't it sort of implied that this might have been his life? No. <laughs> no, I don't think that at all. I would okay. think that if I was watching a movie and it said, based on a true story, based on real life, then I would believe it. But just because it says in the title, it does, that doesn't I mean argue, that... I would argue that just because something says based on a true story doesn't mean I believe it either. Like, the the Conjuring, that the horror movie about possession says it's based on a true story. It, I, meaning... Like, I don't believe any of that happened. It's based on a true story. I'm, I'm not saying you have to believe that's happened. That's the difference. The Conjuring <laughs> is ba- just like The Exorcist is based on a true story. Yeah. I'm not saying you have to believe it. That's that's not the that's not the discussion we're having. I just I I don't understand what your problem is. I don't. I I if you from from what you're telling me, if you're going to use people that are real or historical, then it has to be accurate. That's what I'm hearing have, from that's you. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be accurate. Then I'm, I'm misunderstanding the point you're trying to get across. Explain it to me again, because I if, if that's not the point you're trying to get across, then I completely misunderstood the point. I don't think that a movie has to be 100% accurate. I'm, think, I'm saying that this movie is so inaccurate that the only reason I can think of for them making it about Shakespeare is to have his name in the title. And that's fair. That, that it's an, I guess, it's, for lack of a better word, it's an IP. It's, it's an intellectual property. Like I said, nobody. if this was about Christopher Marlowe and his one of his other plays, which I can't fucking name because nobody knows any other playwright besides fucking <laughs> Shakespeare, then it, why would anybody want to watch it? Yeah. So I don't, it, I don't think it has to be accurate. They're using real, they're using real people to tell a, a, a story. That's it. I, it doesn't have to be accurate. It doesn't have to, be, it doesn't have to tell the real story. I, I guarantee you that the real story behind Romeo and Juliet... It's fucking boring. Nobody would want to watch it. So let's yeah. let's change it and have fun with it, just like Tarantino did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and just like he did with Inglorious Bastards. That is not an accurate comparison. <laughs> it is an accurate comparison. <laughs> he used people in real life to tell a story. 
So let's move on to. <laughs> oh, what a, is there anything else to talk about? Uh, let's see. We went over the nominees. We went over the actors. I talked about how much I enjoyed the score. Uh, yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have nothing really else that I need to say. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know if I have anything else. Okay, well, I got some trivia for you. Sure. Uh, Dame Judi Dench was so taken with the full-size replica set of the Rose Theater that Miramax gave it to her to take home when filming ended. Uh, Variety reported in early 1999 that she was looking for a site and a financial backer so it could be used as a working theater. Um, Here's a little thing for you. One of the reasons co-screenwriters Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard were able to take so many liberties with the script was that not much is known about William Shakespeare's life between the years 1585 and 1592. Suck it. So let's just make shit up. Yeah, they can make up their own shit. This is actually a delicious another great thing about Harvey Weinstein that just pillar the community Harvey Weinstein Uh, Harvey Weinstein did not want Edward Zick to receive a producer credit on the film since he was no longer directing the film while Zwick did not think that Weinstein deserved a producer credit rumor has it that Weinstein expressed his contempt for Zwick by deliberately editing the opening title sequence so that Zwick's production company the Bedford Falls Company, receives its on-screen credit over a shot of Henslow stepping on horse dung. <laughs> Which is actually upsetting to me because I did notice the name Bedford Falls Company. I hadn't, I was unfamiliar with that production company, but that, of course, is a reference to It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Uh, which, you know, now that I know that it was deliberately put over a shot of horse dung, that's upsetting. Yeah. Well, that's Harvey Weinstein for you. Um, let's see here. You might find, oh, oh, this is actually, I found this kind of interesting. I was like, why is this fucking note in here? Um, Wabash, the uh, Henslow's tailor, the one that stutters. Yeah. Um, his stutter is almost, almost entirely disappears when he's acting on stage. This is an actual phenomenon that is well known to speech therapists and other modern day pathologists who study and treat stuttering. Many actors and actresses who are former stutterers first entered the profession when it was recommended to them as therapy for their speech impediment. Famous actors and actresses who turned to the acting to help their stuttering include, and this list astounded me. Are you ready? James Earl Jones, Emily Blunt, Bruce Willis, and Sam Neill. And Darth Vader would have sounded a lot less cool. I will say that. Yeah. Well, that's what the breathing is, is him getting over stuttering. <laughs> um, and then, let's see here. Uh... Meh, that's not, that's cool. Meh, it's not cool. Meh, meh. Uh, a couple casting notes, there actually isn't that many. Um, as we mentioned before, Ben Affleck took the part because he was dating Paltrow at the time. Um, <clears throat> six years before the film was made, Julia Roberts was actually cast as Viola. Yes. And Edward Zwick was to direct it. She thought the only person that was capable of playing William Shakespeare was our hero. Sir Daniel Day-Lewis? That is correct. Yeah. When he turned down the role, she walked away from the production six weeks before filming was to begin. Damn. I would have liked this movie so much more if it was Julia Roberts and Sir Daniel Day-Lewis. I wonder what that would have been like. I don't know if I could have bought, like, Gwyneth 
came across somewhat okay as a boy. Yeah. I don't think Julia could have. I, I wrote a joke in my notes, actually, that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow has the old Clark Kent disguise. But obviously, <laughs> it's not the glasses, but she literally changes like one facial feature, and then everyone's like, well, guess she's a boy. Uh, Kate Winslet turned down the role of Viola. And let's see. Uh, Russell Crowe was actually offered the part of Shakespeare, but turned it down because uh, Harvey Weinstein said you could play it, but you have to sign a four-picture deal. So he said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, a couple of the people that were considered for the role but were never offered was obviously Kenneth Branagh, obviously, and Jude Law. Uh, Jodie Foster turned down the role of Viola. And I don't know if you uh, – Kevin Reynolds and Kenneth Branagh were both uh, uh, tried – were offered to direct, but they both turned it down. And that's it. That's everything we got for Shakespeare in Love. Man. Your favorite scene. Oh, boy. Um, you go first. This is a very long scene, but I'm going to count it because mm. it's – for me, it's the highlight of the film. And it's actually the – the performance of the actual play at the end. Mm. Um, the whole scene, Jeffrey Rush continues his, I, I don't know if they were hoping for it to become a catchphrase about uh, how will this all turn out? I don't know. It's a mystery. He says it like three times in this scene. Um, it's just well done. It's really, this. I think this is where the editing really comes forth because it keeps editing between the performance and the crowd and the goings on backstage. Um, it's just a well-crafted scene and while it does run long uh i'm gonna count that as my favorite part because there is probably the only moment in the movie that actually made me laugh and it's right when gwyneth paltrow or i guess viola or i guess what she's playing juliet wakes up and she's like where's my romeo and her nurse goes he's dead <laughs> that made me laugh uh yeah but uh that that would be my favorite scene is the is that you know what? I uh, I may have to agree with you on that. Uh, I hadn't made a note actually on my favorite scene, so that's on me. But uh, yeah, that one is definitely up there. I also like the sword fight between uh, Joseph Fiennes and Colin Firth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> specifically, the moment where Joseph Fiennes falls off the stage and slams his chest on the front of the stage. Oh. That is just... I don't know if that's supposed to be funny or if it's just unintentionally hilarious, but I laughed at that part. So, <laughs> uh, the uh, the sword fight is probably a close second, but yeah, the performance of the play is a nice uh, emotional climax in the movie. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, all right, the your rating. Um, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I have, as always, I have my prediction for you. Okay. Manny's rating is a solid three. Wow, solid three. A solid three, yeah. Okay. It's no, I can I can get on board with that. Uh, and Sam, your rating of Shakespeare in Love is a. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly tempted to give it a two, but holy I, I didn't shit, hate it. I, I didn't I didn't hate it that much. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be a three. I would have yeah. been astounded if you gave it a two <laughs> yeah i uh like i said this is my least favorite movie of uh this oscar bunch but it still has a lot to offer yeah okay fair enough uh final thoughts on uh <clears throat> so on shakespeare in love with final thoughts i think that um like i said the worst thing that this movie ever did was beat uh saving private ryan for best picture i've 
it, it kind of is shat on a lot because of that. That being said, it just has not lived up to the test of time in the way that uh, Saving Private Ryan has. Um, I, I'm not a particularly big fan of the source material anyway in Romeo and Juliet, so the fact that this movie was uh, a set in a time period that I'm not particularly concerned about with source material that I don't particularly care about was just a recipe for a movie that I don't really care about all that much. With an fantastic. actress that you don't like? Yeah, exactly. Although it is the best performance of his of her career, so kudos to Gwyneth Paltrow. But yeah, actress that I don't particularly like. This movie, as far as my opinion was concerned, had everything going against it, and I still didn't hate it. So <laughs> for that reason alone, I should probably give it at least a three. For um, that reason alone, good. it's best picture winner. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's also very good. Uh, like I said, the score is quite good. Uh, the cinematography. Um, we didn't even really talk about it a whole lot, but I love the opening shot of uh, William Shakespeare writing out his name over and over again. There's a shot of his hand just covered in quill ink that I really like. Mm -hmm. uh, very artistic. Uh, yeah, so it has a decent amount going for it. It's not the best. I don't anticipate ever watching this movie again. Um, but I, you know, I've hated movies more than this. <laughs> A glowing recommendation, glowing from my, recommendation from my podcast partner Sam. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I'm not even close to hating this film. Am I bitter towards it for its win? Yes. This movie is technically sound, technically brilliant, and worthy of the nominations it got. I just don't think it's worthy of the wins it got. Yes. Um, this I 100% really wish. I guess with better planning, I would have loved to have had someone join us on this episode that is a William Shakespeare fan because yeah. I, I think this plays right into their wheelhouse. Like I said earlier in the episode, much like the MCU plays into mine. I, I just feel that this movie probably just does fanboy service for William Shakespeare fans. And yeah. since you and I are both not William Shakespeare fans, it just didn't resonate the way it can. We're also not in in the, I guess, arts as it is, so can we appreciate uh, movies about art? Definitely can, but this definitely plays into people that are into movie making, into doing plays, into acting and stuff like that. So I can see why it got the accolades it got. I just don't think it's worthy of the highest highest praise that it that it received. I've heard this movie referred to as a love letter to theater, which you know I can I can at least see. If I can imagine, if you're a theater nerd, like you said, this movie is probably just your absolute favorite or up there. But uh, as far as cultural relevance goes, uh, it it has not stood the test of time. Uh, the only cultural well relevance, the only cultural relevance this movie has is that everyone will remember it for the movie that beat Saving Private Ryan. That's that's its <laughs> cultural relevance. I'm sure uh, the massive amounts of money in uh, in Gwyneth Paltrow and Harvey Weinstein's pockets are consoling them on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd be interested for for one of our most loyal listeners, Rachel. I would love to hear your thoughts on this film. Um, I'm being. I know that she's a theater nerd, so I'm sure that she. I'd be very interested in hearing what she has to say about this movie. So, Rachel, if you're listening, after you've listened to this episode, send me a text because I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on Shakespeare and Love. Uh, so that being said, that wraps up our episode on Shakespeare and Love. For those of you out there that want to get in on our Halloween episode, send us your nominee for a horror film for Sam and I to 
watch for our Halloween episode, you can send it to us uh, at email at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com or send it to us on Instagram and Twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it will increase our profile and allow more people to find this podcast easier. You can also find us on Spotify. Just search up the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can find us on Spotify. We would love it if you listen to us. And if you have a moment or two, and you feel like it, one thing we would love for you guys to do is just recommend us to your friends. We would love to get some more people listening. Uh, we really appreciate those that do. Again, a big shout-out to all of our listeners and semi-regular listeners and loyal listeners. We absolutely love you. I think that's everything. I think you nailed it. All right. What's going on next week, Sam? Next week, we're getting into the best of the best, so I am really excited for the next three weeks especially. Not that these two weeks have been unenjoyable, of course, but... We're getting into the ones that I was excited to review when we started talking about these Oscars. Next week is episode 74, Life is Beautiful. Oh. And another thing that makes it exciting next week, we have a guest. Adam the Italian is coming back. No, that's Mike the Italian, even though Adam Mike is Italian. Italian. Shit. <laughs> you know, Lazanero is a pretty damn Italian last name. He is. He. Well, I'm not saying he's not. He's not Italian. He is Italian. But it's... <laughs> Adam, the other Italian, (laughs) (laughs) is coming back on the show. Um, Yeah, so that's uh, that's a very exciting development. We are excited to be reviewing Life is Beautiful. We're excited to have Adam back. Yep. And uh, next week is going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. So that being said, that wraps up this week's episode of the Samuel Manuel Podcast. I'm Manny Manuel. A plague on both our houses. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios. Adios.